Who is here from Calvary Monterey? How nice. Nice to have you. Hey, it really is nice to be out from my own church, Calvary Monterey, today and <clears throat> get to hang out in a different spot. We meet outside also. Made it through the whole winter under a tent. And um, it has been a great thing for our church. It's amazing the number of new people we have coming. And like today, many, many watching online. And so as a pastor of 48 plus years now, and married to Denise for 45 years, we've seen a lot. Not sure I've ever seen anything quite like COVID, but I've seen some crazy things. And I have seen some crazy people like Jared and Angela. <laughs> and uh, I have profound respect for them. Denise and I appreciate church planting. We, we've done that. And I'm so thankful that they've stuck, they're here, and that you're here. I am a man that loves practical things. I don't like theories. I don't like things that don't really work. There's an old saying that says, a man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with a theory. And I can tell you, after 50 years of walking with Jesus... The Bible is the most relevant, practical, helpful tool that you can have in your life. In my office, left-hand lower drawer, there's a whole bunch of practical outlines that I've used through the years to solve my own problems and the problems of people. And today, I pulled out one of those messages and it's on the battle for hope. I remember the first time that I gave this message and it's in a different form, and I've given you an outline. I, to your relief, I will not turn to each of those passages, but I wanted to give you a tool. You could sit down with someone who is struggling with hope. It's interesting, after four years of Latin and a year of Greek, I love words. And when I went, as I thought about it before sharing with my congregation, I thought, what is, how can you define hope without using the word hope? And you know, the theological dictionaries all defined it the exact same way, which does not happen. The Greek word is elpis, and it means one thing. Do you have this today, and could you impart this to someone today who lacked this. Hope is the confident expectation of future good. Hope is the confident expectation of future good. It's so easy to have life beat the hope out of you, which it will do if you let it. It's so easy to be a person that just lives in kind of a neutral gear, not really hoping, not really dreading. I think dread would be the opposite of hope. And 1 Peter 3 tells us to always be ready to give an account or an explanation for the hope that's in us. The confident expectation of future good. Hope is like oxygen. You must 
have it. The confident expectation, because I know God, because I hope in God, that's, that's where my hope comes from, I can sit down with someone who maybe lacks that hope, and I don't lecture them. I simply live in the hope that God has given me. And my native personality would not be one of hope. But if you go with me to Acts 27, where I kind of got a hold of the basic concept of this was, I think I was reading in a different translation than I'm reading today. Today I'll be, I don't know what the house version is, but I'm in the New American Standard. But I was reading along in Acts 27 about Paul being driven through the Mediterranean westward in the storm. And it's a, such a great story. I love the book of Acts in my own Bible reading. I just got through the Gospels and I'm in Acts 2. But I read these words in 17. They're in the middle of a storm in the Mediterranean. And after they had hoisted up the anchor, they put supporting cables and they undergirded the ship and fearing that they might run aground in a certain spot, they let themselves be driven along. They let themselves be driven along. That's the way many people live. Just, just let themselves be driven in whatever way the prevailing wind goes. But look at this, verse 18. The next day, as we were being violently storm-tossed, we began to jettison the cargo began throwing precious stuff overboard that you really needed. But since the situation was deteriorating, they thought, well, we're, we're not going to be able to have this or have that. And then in 19, on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard, and notice what it says, with their own hands. The ship's tackle was for steering. And trying to lighten the ship, they threw overboard the steering wheel. Now, that's what you do when you experience verse 20. And since neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and I love the way the Bible always minimizes things, and no small storm was assailing us, from then on, all hope, all confident expectation of future good of our being saved this version says, was gradually abandoned. A better translation is, all hope was given up. I read that and a thought flashed through my mind. If hope can be given up, then hope is a decision. Hope is a decision. Hope is a choice. Your will must be involved <clears throat> if you're going to hope. Hope is a choice. And it's fascinating the way the story ends up. I won't read the whole thing. But Paul says to them, I told you guys this was going to happen. I told you that we were going to have these difficulties. But every one of us is going to be saved. An angel of the Lord stood here tonight, told me, I, everybody I here on the ship with me is going to survive. Only we must run aground on a certain island. Now, here's the thing about storms. Storms make you feel like it's all out of control. But for the Christian, it simply means that your course may be directed and you wind up someplace you didn't expect. 
See, in my life, the biggest storm I ever went through was a church situation in 1996 to 98, and I thought I'd be destroyed in that storm. But what happened was, as I was able to leave that storm in the way that the Lord, I believe, led me, I discovered something I had never known much about before. It was called Calvary Chapel. And as a bruised, beaten man, I went over to Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale, where the pastor had been an old friend. And I had been run aground. And I was walking in a place I'd never been before. But I discovered this movement, which has brought me here today. And that storm, even though to me it was one of the worst experiences of my life, simply changed my tra trajectory, can't say that word, changed my direction to find the will of God for the next stage of my life. It's so easy to give up hope. It's so easy to throw the ship's tackle overboard. It's so easy to, to stop even trying to get direction from God because you're just afraid of what's going to happen. But I've given you, I don't know, I didn't count how many verses there are here that undergird this thought of hope. And this is a tool that you can use to, well, back to the first time I preached this. I, I gave it a different message. And I said to my church prior to Calvary Chapel, I said, I want to speak this morning. This is just what I felt the Holy Spirit had given me to say. I want to speak this morning on the theme of hopelessness. And I knew my church, I loved my church, and I saw both services flash across faces in the congregation overt pain. It was the craziest thing. And I, I didn't realize this was going to be any kind of a sensitive subject. But I saw that flash of emotion in people's faces before they could uh, get on the church face again. And I thought, this is an important theme. And so I've given you verses on the battle for hope. Where does hope function? Where does it work in your life? What does it actually do? How does it actually do stuff? How do you get it? You know, if I was selling hope at the back door and if you were walking past me on the way out of here today and I was selling hope, I bet many of you would buy it off me. But the great thing is, it's free. Having the confident expectation comes through, as you see the verses in that top part, it really comes through dealing with the renegade thoughts that come to us through the day. I'm going to get to it later, but 1 Thessalonians 5.8 is a short list of spiritual armor to put on every day. And it says, we put on the breastplate, which covers the heart. We put on the breastplate of faith and love. But then it says this, for a helmet, the hope of salvation. I read that one day and I thought, ah, faith and love operate here. And so if I can operate in faith and love, my heart is protected. But what operates up here? Hope. I was talking to another guy back here that likes motorcycles like, like I do. 
And when I taught this, ultimately, at Calvary Fort Lauderdale, I had the, probably the stupidity to walk out to the pulpit with a hammer and my motorcycle helmet. And when I got to the, the verse about the helmet of hope, I grabbed my hammer and started beating on the helmet because that illustrates we need protection in the mind. How many of you have a mind that ever goes kind of nutso? Denise and I like to work around our house on Saturdays, and sometimes after a minute or two, I'll be surprised where my brain went, thinking about just crazy stuff. And, and, but oftentimes, when our brains are active, they go negative. They go fearful. And I want you to look at, and I'm not going to turn to all these verses like I said, but it's your leisure. You can study this whole thing. But I, I used to wonder in Ephesians 6.16, in the passage on spiritual armor, about this particular passage, 6.16, Ephesians, one of the, my favorite books. In addition to the, all the spiritual armor that we put on them, beat shot with the gospel of peace, loins girded with truth, and all that, in verse 16, it says, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish the flaming missiles of the evil one. Now, those flaming missiles could be a lot of different things. But I'll tell you, one of the flaming missiles that is in Satan's ar arsenal are the thoughts to your brain. And we don't even need Satan to be, to be putting thoughts in our minds. We can do it easily ourselves. Circumstances can do it. You ever had a hair arrow sticking out of the side of your head? A, a, a thought that you can't get rid of. A temptation, a fear, an anxiety, you know, a, a resentment, a prejudice. Our minds need protection. In 1 Peter 3, uh, 1, 3, and 13 talks about we are born again to a living hope. We are to be people that have hope that stays alive no matter what's going down around us. Man, I saw some really interesting negative things come around our church through COVID, how people would act and how people would be motivated by all kinds of flaming missiles that had been burrowed into their mind. And I knew they were that because of the way they acted and the way they were cruel to people. But I want to be a guy. You want to be a person that lives in hope. Hope is not unrealistic. Hope looks the situation up and down doesn't ignore it whatsoever. But hope has a source for that confident expectation that can take you through anything. Have any of you ever felt like hope was getting beat out of you? You ever felt like that? I want you to go with me to Romans 4, 18 and 19. Where does hope work? Number one, hope works in impossible situations. We don't hope for the possible. We hope for the impossible. 
in 418. Speaking of Abraham being 100 years old, his wife 90 years old, and, and God had said to him, you're going to have kids. You're going to have children. Hard for him to believe. But it begins in verse 18 this way. In hope, but against all hope. Catch that. In hope, but against all hope, he believed in order that he might become a father of many nations. According to that which has been said to him, so shall your descendants be. And look at 19. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body good as dead. I always like that phrase. But yet with respect to the promise of God, verse 20, he did not wallow in unbelief. See, the thing that happens is when you maintain hope, hope leads you to faith. In fact, one of the great verses of the New Testament, not really shared enough, is 1 Corinthians 13, 13. It says this, Now faith, hope, and love abide these three. Faith, hope, and love abide these three. The greatest of these is love. You hear so much about faith, and you hear so much about love, but that's that little person in the middle that's walking between faith and love you don't hear about. And his or her name is hope. Hope mixes beautifully and brings you to faith and love. In Romans 5, 3 through 5, which was the verse that I hung on to in the time of church turmoil, we have a, a, a very interesting progression of experiences. And I know none of you have ever experienced tribulations or troubles. You know, in Walnut Creek, you know, I know they live a, you live a charmed life here and everything's easy. But, but just in case you know somebody, and not only this, but we exult in our tribulations knowing. Now, the only way you'll ever exult or keep your joy in a tribulation if you know the following five things in a progression. Knowing this, that tribulation produce, produces perseverance. Perseverance produces proven character. Proven character leads to hope. And hope does not disappoint us. And see, the reason why we don't want to hope because we don't want to be disappointed. Disappointment is a tough, tough thing. But tribulation, perseverance, proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because, number five, the love of God is poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's given to us. And by the way, you can always become a more loving person by simply asking for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the best teacher of love that I know. But did you see that progression there? It starts in tribulation. Kind of negative. Then perseverance. And then proven character. When you don't give up, 
in tribulation and you persevere, what happens is your character is proven. And the next stage of your development, what was it? After proven character? Hope. And hope does not disappoint us because in the end, the love of God will guard and protect us. And so when you go through difficulties and you are able to do it correctly, in the end, you wind up more hopeful and more loving. Now, if you've never had a problem in your life, then I'm not that impressed if you have open love. But if you've been through a divorce, you've been through a physical battle, when you've been rejected, when you've had a bankruptcy or whatever, and you have successfully passed through it and you're still going, and you have hope and love, that shows me that God has moved in your life. Hope works in impossible situations, unpleasant situations, and Romans 8.24, and then I'll begin to go a little faster, but Romans 8.24, it's really fun to try to keep my Bible from flying away, but I like being outside. Yeah, I love this passage. Verse 24, Romans 8, for in hope we have been saved. Hope is kind of the gateway to salvation. It, it's, it's what we are thinking, could it really be that if I give my heart to God, that I can experience salvation, I can experience change, I could have joy. In hope, we have been saved. But look at this, hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, if we hope for what we do not see, if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. Hope and perseverance give you that ability to wait eagerly for what's next. I wonder what it is that's next in the development in your life. I wonder what it is. What's next? God has a plan for every one of us. And I wouldn't want you to ever take a right turn when you should take a left turn. I mean, talk about my life, the last 48 years of ministry. I mean, we've lived around the country and planted churches and done this or that and just done unexpected things and gone to bunches of countries. And you talk about a, a life that's hard to kind of navigate. What's the guidance? What's the next thing? What do we do now? And at, and at 66, I'm, I'm beginning to contemplate a little different stage from my life next year, and, and I'm navigating all that. But you know what keeps me sane is hope. I, I have the confident expectation that even if I'm stupid, God will be smarter than I am. Now, what does hope do? As I already told you, 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, hope guards the mind. If, if you have a morning quiet time like I do, one of the things that you are subconsciously or unconsciously doing is you are putting on hope. You must enter a day with the confident expectation of future good. If you do your quiet time at night, if you're able to make that commitment to have 10 minutes and then 20 minutes and then longer and longer, all that's going to happen is you'll sleep better at night if you do your quiet time at night or in the morning. 
you'll gather steam for that day. And faith and hope and love will operate into, in you. I don't have time to turn there, but Hebrews 6.11 calls hope the anchor of the soul. You ever been out on a boat? Anybody here, you've been on a boat? I was on a boat in Fort Lauderdale once, and the boat lost power, and there was... The, the guy kept turning it on and we could like go a few feet and it would stop and we were drifting toward a huge uh, tanker that was that was uh, sorry to say parked out there not exactly parked anchored out there and we were drifting toward that thing and we were going to crash into it until my friend thinks the anchor the anchor throws the anchor overboard now here is what's unnerving he throws the anchor all the rope is gone or chain, whatever it was, and we're still drifting toward the ship. And I'm like, this anchor is not working. Malfunction. And then all of a sudden, it catches a rock, and then, whoo, and we stop. I was like whiplash. See, that's the thing about hope that's so <clears throat> tricky. You can embrace hope, but there may be a delay between you Finding that hope and actually then it kicking in. But you don't have to hit that tanker. We didn't. And uh, the story, with, uh, the way they got back in, that's another whole thing. Hope is an anchor. Hope will keep you from drifting directions. People without hope make poor decisions. People without hope have wrong perceptions. And you can wind up on the reef purely and simply because you're, you threw the chip's tackle overboard. 1 John 3 also says that when we fix our hope on the soon return of Christ, we purify our life. I remember that often. Jesus is coming soon. You've you got to remember that. And when you remember that, you want to live right. You do not want to be doing the wrong things, and then Jesus shows up in the sky. I actually thought Jesus was returning one night, driving on McNabb Road near Calvary, Fort Lauderdale. I was driving westbound out by Walmart, and then I looked in the sky, which was an overcast night, and a silver sheen developed in this inky black night and I knew it was completely overcast and I saw this this thing and for, for a second and a half or two I actually thought it was Jesus and you know what I realized I really do believe Jesus is returning because I actually thought it was the moon but for a moment, I actually thought it was him. That gives me hope. That gives me purity. That keeps me walking the right way because I do believe he knows what I'm going through. I do believe he's with me. I do believe he's with you. 1 Timothy 1.1 simply says, Christ, our when you get Christ, when you hang out with Christ, when you study Christ, one of the things that just automatically happens is you become more hopeful. 
and expectant of good things. But I want you to go to probably my most powerful verse about hope. And there's a lot of other verses here that you can study. But if you go with me in closing to Romans 15 and verse 4. When I came across this, I, I, I think if I remember right, I did what David always talked about in the Psalms that nobody ever does. And that is I gave a shout. So many times in the Psalms, it talks about a shout. You don't hear many shouts in the world anymore, except at ball games and stuff. But once in a while in church, some, you'll say something and you'll hear a shout. But this was a shout when I read something. 15.4, whatever was written in earlier times, Old Testament writings and such, whatever was written for our instruction, that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Boil down the scriptures, if you can, to their, to their essence. Perseverance and encouragement of the scriptures. The more you read the Bible, the more you want to persevere, the more encouraged you are. We might have hope. More Bible, more perseverance and encouragement, and more hope. The average Christian in America, speaking of prayer, prays, according to George Barna, for 30 seconds a day. And as far as the average Bible reading of the average evangelical Christian, I don't think it's enough. And for many of us, our hope quotient will rise if we simply increase the Bible. And I know everybody's busy, and we all know how all, all that is. But the habit of Bible reading was hard for me as a young person and a young pastor. But once I finally got addicted, now it's easier to do than not do. Final verse, this is my gift to you. This is free. Costs you nothing. Look at this Romans 15, 13. And if you keep studying these things, pretty soon they'll be in your memory bank. And when you're having a, a, a tough moment, a verse will come to you that the Holy Spirit brings to your mind. 15, 13, a shouting verse. Now, and notice the name of God here. Now. May the God of hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not just some hope, but abounding hope. And notice again, he's called the God of hope. Hang around God. His hope will be in your heart. And he can fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you were raised in a very negative home, you were raised in a home where you were talked down on or abused or picked on or whatever, and then someone comes and talks to you about hope, 
just may not seem realistic. It may seem like, well, yeah, that's just kind of a Pollyanna kind of thing. But Paul had experienced horrible things in his life, and one of his constant themes was hope. I want you to be able to sit down with another person and say, hey, you seem like you're kind of down. Could we do a little Bible study? And pull out your tool here. I think one of the most mistreated people I ever knew of in my life, Denise and I uh, knew of this wonderful saint from <clears throat> Romania named Richard Wormbrand. Without going into Richard's whole life, 14 years in communist prisons, and when he was brought to America, having been ransomed out, and he was told the communists don't hurt and torture people, um, he said, excuse me a moment, and he took off his clerical collar, took off his black shirt, took off his T-shirt, and showed them the holes and the shock marks and all these things on his body. You know, Denise and I were in church, I think you were there with me, in a, in a crowded church in 1971, 72, when Richard Warmbrand, who was then in his 70s, who was just, just a, a, sh a wreck of a man because physically what had happened to him, couldn't stand up, sat him in a chair, and for an hour, we, we were, it was, the building was so crowded that, that I was actually sitting um, like over there, maybe to where that line is, um, right next to this, this pastor. And as he spoke for a good hour, never once did he mention his tortures, never once did he talk about what he'd gone through. For one solid hour, he talked about the beauty of Christ. Said it over and over, the beauty of Christ. Over and over. And in his books, he talks about in the worst of the tortures, that it felt that he was being wrapped in the arms of Christ and that he felt it but didn't feel it and it, like he wasn't even in his body. But when I heard him speak, all he talked about was Christ. You can be like that. You can have the stuffing beat out of you and have experiences you just never thought you'd have and yet not be defined by them. That's because we have such a wonderful God and a wonderful Savior. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up, begin to play but not sing quietly. And we're going to prepare for receiving communion, which I believe everyone has at their place. And I think I'll ask maybe, Jared, could you come and lead this part of the service in a moment? But I want to take a minute to pray for you because I think that the Lord has business to do with all of us as we respond to the message of hope. The confident expectation of future good. How much God loves us. How much God cares for us. Whatever your situation is today, whatever shape your life is in, you know, you may be doing just really well right now, and you may be not so well. But we're all here today as sinners coming before our God.
Perhaps you're someone who's wandered in today and you've never made a commitment of your life to God. I was a pastor's son. Baptized, confirmed, and the whole deal. And uh, had said the words in confirmation, I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. But I had no idea what it meant. But one night a guy who'd been in the Black Panthers from Oakland, I was invited to a Bible study, never had been to one before, and he shared, while he was tripping on LSD in 1970, Christ appeared to him in that trip and revealed himself to him. And a year later, I was sitting in a crowded living room listening to Ted Hayes talk about receiving Christ personally. I didn't know that that could be done. I didn't know that Christ would live in my heart. I never understood that. Perhaps you're in that same situation where you're, you're seeking and you're interested and you're, you're here, but you've never made that definite giving the steering wheel of your life to Jesus. And if so, I would love to lead you in the same prayer that Ted Hayes led me when I was 16 years old in prayer. Is anybody here? You've never made that jump of personally giving your life over to Christ. All you got to do is just lift a hand and if I see one person I will pray a prayer that you can make your own. Anybody here like that? You're among friends and everybody here will rejoice if you see I have a new forward step to make. not seeing any hands. Jared, would you come and lead us in communion? Is there a microphone that you can use? No. Well, then I'll do it. Father, we thank you so much for the body and blood. And as we take in our hands this emblem of your love, we see the body separated from the blood, which happens when there's death. We believe that Christ died for our sins was buried and rose again. And so as we eat of the bread and drink of the cup, Lord, we remember your son Jesus until he comes again.